If you uh, have your uh, Bibles, I hope you do, then please uh, turn with me to uh, uh, 2 Corinthians. We're going to be there this morning and a couple of other uh, passages as well. Thanks, love. And um, this week we're continuing our series in, in worship and, um, and we come to a second part of a two-part sermon that I started last week about giving. And so you may think, well, what is giving and money and finances got to do with worship? And obviously it's got everything to do with worship given our current culture. And we've been talking over the last few weeks about what our heart's desire is, what the idea of the good life is, what is on the throne of our heart. And we live in a culture that extols the virtues of having lots of money and, and possessions. In fact, just this morning I heard on the radio um, an advert for a commercial for a new housing development on the west side. I'm not going to tell you which one because I don't want to give them the kudos and free marketing. Um, but their opening strap line was, make your friends jealous by buying this house. And I was like, there we have, summed up in one statement, the way our culture sees money and possessions. It's a way of getting a good life, that the good life then would result in kudos and superiority and hopefully make our neighbors jealous. What a weird and twisted uh, goal in life it is to basically, ultimately to make people around us jealous. And so this week we come to uh, the, the second part of our talking about money. And Jesus, we heard last week, spent more than 25% of his time teaching about money and possessions. And we heard last week that money and the way we spend our money is an amazing indicator of where our heart is, what our spiritual condition is. And, and so Jesus really pressed that home. And I encourage you to listen to the message last week. It was very much the heart of giving, the heart of generosity, why we must give why we must be generous, and, and the joy and the freedom that that brings. This week, we're getting into the nuts and bolts. We're getting into the what, the where, the why, the how. And, uh, and I know that I'm going to be pressing some buttons this morning, but here's, here's the deal when it comes to money and giving and generosity. We tend to uh, lean towards looking at Scripture through a certain lens. And this lens can come as a result of experiences. It can come as a result of bad and good experiences. Uh, It can come as a result of where our heart lies. And it's like we place these glasses on our spiritual vision and go, well, this is what I think. Let's see what the Bible says. And if the Bible agrees with me, yay. And if the Bible doesn't agree with me, then then I'm not so sure. So here's what I want to do. With money and giving, because of the way the church has really uh, mistreated this teaching in order to manipulate and to get more money, I need to say right from the start, last week's message really laid this foundation. This is not in order to get you to give to the church more as a primary ask. This is, the, here's the thing, I'm going to say this later. I, in my experience of of um, almost 30 years of ministry, I find that those people who give and those people who are generous tend to have their lives in order. I've just noticed that. That people who are generous and are giving tend to have other things in order as well. And so my primary motivation is for us to this morning really examine our hearts 
more than whether or not it's uh, a big ask on behalf of the church. It's, it, that's not my motivation this morning. So right from the start off, I, I want to say this, that, that giving is, is, as a Christian, it's not if we should give, it's how much we should give. It's not whether or not we should give, it's how much we should give. And so here are some questions that we're going to address this morning. First of all, uh, we're going to think, well, what happens if I can't afford it? What if I'm in debt? Uh, should I give 10% like it says in the Old Testament? My spouse is not a Christian. Should I still give? And frankly, Glenn, I don't want to give to the church. Um, you know, that, 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 that is a, a mind from, have I missed one out? What if I can't afford it? No, no I think that covers it. That's good. So that's where we're going to go today. But the first thing that I want us to see is in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 8 to 9. And I hope that you're writing these down. Community group leaders, I encourage you to write these scriptures down. Make lots of notes. I can send you my notes and they can confuse you. You're very welcome to have those. Um, But I, I really encourage you to take some notes and look back and maybe listen to this message again. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 8 to 9. We have it on the screen. I am not commanding you. Now Paul is talking to the Corinthian church. To give you some context, the Corinthian church were the poster child of messed up weird churches. Like you read First and Second Corinthians, the stuff that was going on is mind-blowing. Like I, I think that you know, our church sometimes has some challenges and issues. Then I read First and Second Corinthians and I feel encouraged. Because Paul is actually speaking into situations that I hope as a pastor I never get to speak into. So he's talking directly to a young immature, in many ways, uh, spiritually kind of skewed church. And that's important for us to understand that because I want you to see how he talks to them and the bar that he sets for them. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Now he's talking about giving. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Now, he's actually taking the Corinthian church and says, listen, I am going to compare you to this other group of people, the Macedonians. That would be paramount to me going, okay, we'll apart church. Let's chat about Trinity for a minute. Ooh, that gets uncomfortable. Those, those people at Trinity, they're, they're this and they're that and they're great and you're not. That's going to fill a church, isn't it? I mean, you're going to feel so encouraged. Like the, the Corinthian church, he's saying the Macedonians, they were givers. And here's why. And he's saying, for the Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, for, it, for your sakes he became poor. So my first point is this. Generosity begins with Jesus. Jesus is generous. Jesus is a giver. Jesus is thoughtful. Jesus was compassionate. Jesus was sacrificial. He was all these things. And so our view of giving, first and foremost, is dictated by our view of Jesus. Because if we understand what Jesus gave to us, when Jesus comes and tells us to do something, we're actually going to lean in and listen because of his love, his generosity, the example that he has set to us. You see, if we believe that God is generous, we should be generous. If we believe that God is a giver, we should be a giver. 
If we believe that God is selfless by giving us his son and then him living a life that, was, uh, that he came and he lived and he died and he gave himself for us, if we really anchor our lives on that, Christians, then we too should be selfless and we too should be gracious. We too should be generous. So let's unpack this a little bit. Because even though we recognize that Jesus is generous and Jesus is a giver, there's some points that I think that are going to be helpful for us. Now then, before we jump into this, I need you to understand the importance of what I'm going to share with you this morning. If you can grasp what I'm going to share, it will send you on a trajectory of life that will be blessed, that will be in alignment with what God is saying and instructing for us. Absolutely. If you are a young adult here or a youth or thinking about getting married or are married or want to get married at some point in the future, if you can grasp what I'm saying here, there is a blessing that comes along with it. However, please understand, we are not that church. We are not that camp. We are not that team that says if you give God money, somehow we twist his uh, divine arm so that he will give us money. You know... I, that you have to do like biblical gymnastics to make the Bible say that. God does not owe you anything. We woke up this morning. You know, that alone is a miracle. It really is. However, the scripture does talk about generosity and giving being linked with blessing. But we don't do it in order to get the blessing. We do it because it's the right thing to do. And it's obedience to Jesus who is also generous. Does that make sense? Okay, so secondly, generosity, this is the overarching truth of the scripture, generosity is all about sacrifice. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 1 to 4 and hopefully it will appear behind me. And now brothers, this is the first part of the passage that I just read to you where Paul is referring to the Macedonian churches, to the Corinthians. He says, and now brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Okay, now it kind of this, you can just imagine the Corinthian church going, oh gosh, here we go. Okay. <sighs> Macedonian churches. That's great. You know, think of a big mega church or something like that, and we all look at them and go, oh, it's all right for them. That's the Corinthian church right now. Number two, uh, verse two. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up. In rich generosity. Now let's just stay there for a second. Look at some of those words that I've highlighted there. Severe trial, extreme poverty, rich generosity. Those don't tend to go together. Okay, let's carry on. Verse 3. For I testify that they gave us as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Do you remember that passage in Acts 2 where it says that people were actually selling stuff to give stuff away? Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us. For the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. How can we give you more? Please let us give you more money, Paul. That would be really strange in a service, wouldn't it? Glenn, can we just have that offering again? Because that was so good. See, this passage alone answers a lot of our questions about giving. It answers the question about 10%. It answers the question of whether we should give if we have a non-Christian spouse. It answers the question as to whether we should give, whether we have any spare money. And it answers the question as to whether we should be giving and generous and give money when we're in debt. 
Because out of their extreme poverty, they gave generously. Let's look at Mark chapter 12, verse 41. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. So he's sitting there with his disciples and he's watching. People are coming and they're putting money into the treasury. So just visualize Jesus sitting here watching us lot giving our offering. Okay? Many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. He carries on. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything that she had to live on. See, Jesus is not impressed by the amount of money that's going in to the offering. See, our culture is impressed by the amount of money that we have. Jesus is not impressed. You see, he said, out of their wealth. So there's no indication in what Jesus is saying that there's sacrifice. So these people are putting large amounts of money in, but it's not a sacrifice because they have a large amount of money. You know, so it's not really making much of a dent. But Jesus points out this lady and says she put everything in. Everything. See, when you were a widow in Jesus' time, it meant that you were destitute. You, basically, what she gave there was virtually worthless. Now, we need to understand that God does not need your money because it is already God's. What he's interested in is your heart. And again, he's not needing your heart, your, your worship and glory like he's lacking. But what he wants is actually the very best for us, which is to become more like Jesus. To become like Jesus means that our heart has to change. And Jesus, as we heard last week, said in order for our heart to change, then we have to address what's enthroned in our heart. What, what do we really worship? And so when God looks at us and our giving, it's not the amount of money because he doesn't need your money. It's already his. But what he's looking at is what's the indicator of the heart going on. So when this lady says, when, when she put in everything, that's a reflection of a heart. God, you have everything. She put in everything. See, worship is all about sacrifice. Generosity is all about sacrifice. It's about worship. See, the Macedonians pleaded. Okay, so let's just talk some home truths. And you need to understand, I knew this message was coming up. When would it have been, Brad? March, April? I knew that I was going to be speaking about this message. Because we as a church recognize that we don't talk about giving enough. The world talks about money all the time, but we don't as a church. And so I've known for the last six months, this has been weighing on me. And so what's actually been happening is, is this kind of wrestle. Because Sarah and I and the family, we give to the church. And we also give, and I'm not, I'm not the poster child for giving, trust me. But we, we give um, and we want, want to tr- we want to look after some kids at Child of Mine. And we've got other kids and like we've got so many kids. Um, and, and then we give to church, and then I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to be preaching, I'm going to be saying, listen, giving is about generosity. And it's, it was almost like I didn't need to pray, God, please convict me. Because immediately the conviction came. Because here's the reality. We have no problem agreeing that God gave us everything. Absolutely, Glenn, I agree with you. That's all His. He is generous. Everything is His. 
what I struggle with, and maybe if I can lovingly suggest we struggle with, is not agreeing with Jesus. Remember I talked about the first part of our series, that I have no problem agreeing. I have a problem believing. We have a problem believing that God is in complete control. We, believe, we have a struggle believing that it is all God's. And we struggle. And we keep back just in case God doesn't come through. Just, you know, if I give this, I don't know whether God's going to look after me. See, that's a belief issue. It's a belief issue, not an agreement issue. It's not a financial issue. It's a spiritual issue. It's an issue of trust, control, and surrender. And by the way, giving is a fantastic way of dealing with any issue of control that we might have. Because there is nothing as tangible as going, okay, okay, God, you can have it. Now you've got to come through. That, that's a relinquishing of control that brings a purity and a freedom that is beautiful. You see, Jesus and Paul both show us people who gave everything from nothing. See, the widow gave everything from nothing, and the Macedonians gave everything from nothing and sold stuff to give. You see, there was... That is the underlying truth that we all stand upon. And we know it to be true. And and I know because I went through a lot of conviction over the last few months as the Lord was starting to speak to me about giving more. And we wrestled with it. And and we we struggled. We said, okay, Lord, you know, and, and I even went through this whole process. Hang on a second. I'm giving back to my employer. That makes no sense. So do you know what I mean? Like, thank you for my wages. Here's some of it back. Who else of you do that? Well, thank you for my salary. Here's some of it back. Do whatever you believe you need to do with it. That's so weak. So, I mean, I wrestled. But Sarah doesn't wrestle. She's like, oh, you just give and give and give and give. And I'm like, oh, gosh, this is hard. Praise the Lord for Sarah. So what does this actually look like? What does it look like? Because you maybe go, okay, go and give me the practical. What do I need to do? How much? Where? Because that's the stuff that we have our lens on of experience. This is where we believe the Bible says this. And so here's what I did as my study is I went back and I, with an open hand, with no opinion, started studying what the Bible said about giving and tithing and where it should go. And that is what I'm going to present to you. And then I'm going to trust that the Holy Spirit speaks to you. Okay, so first of all, tithing. For those of you who don't know, this idea of tithing, it comes from the word, it literally means tenth. And so there's teaching in the Bible that talks about giving a tenth of your income back to the church. And so let's just talk about that for a second. First of all, it comes from the Old Testament. And there are three tithes in the Old Testament. Three, not one, three. The first one, and I love this, the first one was, uh, oh, those are all the scriptures, quickly write them down. The first tithe was for the work of the temple. So the people would get their money, their income from selling stuff, and they would give 10% literally to the church of the time. For the church to use in whatever way they see fit. We're going to look at that in a little bit. Then they gave another tenth, this is the bit I love, for partying. They gave a tenth of their income to the church, and then they gave a tenth to the temple for parties, for ceremonies, for feasts. So imagine us going, okay, here's the tenth bag that goes around. Now here's the party bag. 
Because we're going to, can you imagine how good that party would be at the end of the year? Wow. Like a tenth of all our income for parties? I'd love to be part of that party planning. Wouldn't that be great? Talk about fireworks. We'd be looking at the, the July, um, the Canada Day fireworks and go, really? Is that the best you got? <laughs> Wait till our party comes along, Willow Park Church South. Then there was another tenth given every three years, specifically given away for the poor. So those who you are mathematical, that equals about 23.3 recurring percent of your income goes to the church, to parties, to the poor. So if you want to camp out on tithing, camp out on that. If you're a 10th income guy or a 10th income lady, it's actually 23.3% and we will more than happily help you figure that out. That was in addition to all the other offerings that went to the temple, by the way. Regular offerings to the temple. So when we think about tithing, it's very important that we understand where the word comes from in the Old Testament. So the big question is this. Is tithing mentioned in the New Testament as a command? This is the one thing that can cause the most challenge. Is tithing mentioned in the New Testament as a command? And the answer is no. It isn't. Jesus alludes to tithing in Matthew 23 verse 23. But nowhere in the New Testament does it refer to tithing as a command. And here's why. They raised the bar way past tithing. See, the New Testament is not how much should we give. The New Testament is how much should we keep. Ooh. How much should you give? We're going to come to that in a second. But the New Testament is not how much should we give. But how much should we keep? That's New Testament teaching. So is the New Testament mentioning tithing specifically as a command? No, it is not mentioned. It's not mentioned. Other than Jesus alluding to it in Matthew 23. But then Paul and Jesus raised the bar so freaking high. It's now about how much are you going to keep? Because remember, it's a reflection of the heart. So then the question is... Does the lack of teaching in the New Testament about tithing result in his people not giving? Well, I'll just throw a few coins in. Because, you know, I don't really believe the New Testament teaches about tithing, so I'm not going to give very much. You know, you can't have one, as we say, what's the phrase? You can't have your cake and eat it. It's either one thing and therefore it has to be the other. So if if you're not wanting to give 10%, here's what the New Testament teaches and buckle up. But remember, it's freeing. It's beautiful. Because in Matthew 12 and then in 2 Corinthians, it says generosity is all about sacrifice. So the question then is, how much should we give? 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6 says this. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Community group leaders, write this scripture down because this is all the teaching you need. (laughs) 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6. Guess who's a community group leader? Thanks, Brad. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6. Here's the teaching of the New Testament. And, and I'm going to say it, and then I'm going to pull back and explain it. Just We can leave that scripture up. Thanks, Joseph. 
Each man or woman should give what he has decided in his heart. So here's the New Testament teaching on giving. You figure it out. You figure it out. You figure out what it is for you to be generous in giving. See, your gifts and your money, which aren't yours, this scripture says should be regular, should be cheerful, and should be sacrificial. So giving regular, cheerfully, sacrificially. So you go before the Lord and you say, okay, God, if 10% isn't the bar anymore, what does it look like for me to give regularly, cheerfully, and sacrificially? What does that look like? And here's why I'm holding the 10% with an open hand. 10%, I believe, is a great minimum. See, Jesus raised the bar so high because I believe when the story of him watching the widow throw the money in is an issue of this. See, 10% for those rich people wasn't a sacrifice. Whereas maybe that lady couldn't even get to 10% and it was her everything. You see, 10% for some is no sacrifice. And the Bible is all about, the scriptures are all about sacrificial giving. So sacrificial giving is this continual physical action that reminds us that God is in control. So we go to the Lord and we ask Him. We ask Him, Lord, what is it that you want me to give? What is sacrificial? What is regular? And and am I giving it cheerfully? We're not even talked about where it goes yet. But our heart orientation, if our heart is camped out on 10%, then wonderful. If that 10% is sacrificial, you're there. But if that 10% is pretty easy come by, you're not. So this then answers the question of 10%, debt, Spouses, how much? Because the teaching, let, let me put it this way. This is my prayer for Willow Park Church. And it would have such a dramatic effect for the gospel. Here's my prayer. Next slide, please, Joseph. Instead of being a 10% church, let's be a church that strives to give sacrificially like the widow and the Macedonians. Why, why 10%? Let's raise the bar like Jesus raised it. Because remember, if you listen to the message last week, the idea of giving sacrificially is freeing. And if you are holding on, then it's a question of spiritual uh, control. That, that is it a reflection of where our hearts are? Absolutely. But Glenn, I can't afford it. I can't afford to give anything. So here's my, I would humbly and lovingly ask you, why can't we afford it? Why, why can't you afford it? Why can you not afford to give sacrificially? Well, because it's, it's all right for the rich. They got loads of money. I, I got next to nothing. Why have you? What is your budgeting like? What is it that you are spending money on? What is it that you're thinking is going to get you that good life that you're spending money on? Because remember, the good life is often reflected in how we spend our money and now how we use our time. So what is, it, what is it that we're actually spending our money on that ultimately is a reflection of where our heart is? So I, I again, lovingly, pastorally, humbly would suggest that everybody can afford to give because everybody is affording to pay for something that is above, generally if we're honest, the bare, bare minimum of bread and 
food and living expenses. What do your living expenses look like? Remember that statistic last week when I said that most people in this survey actually found that they were struggling with money because they were eating out too much? It's okay for the rich, some might say. As I said last week, statistically it shows that the more money somebody has, the less they give. Because the sacrifices you get richer does not decrease... The sacrifices you get richer should increase. And so you're just talking about more zeros. It's not easier to give away a million than it is a hundred. <laughs> but God may be calling somebody to give away a million because that's the sacrifice. And the hundred may be a sacrifice just as much. Can you see how the Bible teaching covers everybody? So we need to pray and consider a number. Some people, I'm not going to give you their names because I've never met them, but if they met me and they knew it was being recorded and I mentioned them, they would probably be quite annoyed with me. But I know some, and you would know them too, I can think of three pretty famous Christian pastors who have made a lot of money off their books that they, that they have um, written and sold. And I know... With all these three, not them, one person, they, they, they don't kind of publicly uh, let this be known, but it's a, it's a common truth among the, uh, the, the pastors, I guess, is what they've done, these three men, is they've gone to their church and they said, I don't trust myself. I don't trust what money can do to me. So you figure out a salary for me from the church, and every penny that I make, from my traveling engagements, which by the way, for some preachers in North America, they can get 25000 up for one sermon. No lie. That's their fee. Everything I make over and above what the church gives me will go back into some kind of uh, foundation that will then go towards missions and evangelism and the poor and everything else. Millions. Millions. See, that to me is kingdom they are giving away 90% maybe and keeping 10. You'll never outgive God. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want you to pray and I want you to listen, not right now, but in your own time. And think about the sacrificial, uh, think about the regular, think about the cheerful and say, Lord, what is it that you want me to give? And then if there's a gulp factor then you're there. If it pinches, you're there. If it makes you think, Lord, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this, you're there. You're there. If it's, oh yeah, no, that's fine, you're not there. But if it makes you wonder how you're going to get to the end of the month, you're there. Because that's what the pinch is. There's no pinch, there's no sacrifice. That's why the scriptures talk about sacrifice. Is there a gulp factor? My word, not scripture. Is there a, oh my goodness. How is this going to even look? If the amount causes you to rely on God, you're there. So, I've left the big question. We've talked about why. We've talked about how much. Now it's the where. So let me tell you a little story. I don't do this very often, but this one actually works really well. Two men crashed in a small plane on a chartered island. One of the men brushed himself off and then frantically ran all over the tiny island looking for help. 
When he returned, he rushed up to the other man and screamed, This island is uninhabited. There's no food. There is no water. We are going to die. Why are you just sitting there, smiling? The other man calmly leaned back against the fuselage and responded, Well, no, no, we're not going to die because I make $100 million a year. The other man grabbed his friend and shook him. He said, Listen, we're on an uninhabited island. We have no water. We have no food. We're going to die. It doesn't matter whether you make $100 million a year. We're doomed. Still unfazed, the man looked at the other in the eye and said, Don't make me say this again. He said, I make $100 million a year and I tithe. My pastor will find me. So I'm going to just tell you what scripturally the Bible says about your giving. Your giving. You should first give it to the church. Now, okay, Glenn, you're bound to say that. Because, you know, you work for the church. So something just happened in you when I said it. You either went, yes. You either went, no. Or, I don't know, convince me. And that is the culture we live in. See, we want control on two levels. We want to control our money, how much, but we also want to control our where. Because somehow we think it's our money to decide that upon, whereas the scripture actually is really clear. So I want to address this, because we address it not necessarily biblically, but we address it by experience or philosophy. So I'm going to go really quick here, and this is where I want you to listen to the, the message again, because there's a lot here, and I, and I haven't got time to go through it into great detail. So I'm going to skim past it, and I'm going to give you a bit of a Bible bomb, and then we're, just going, to, we're going to camp just for a second as I bring this to a conclusion. I have yet to find a biblical scholar who is way more bright than me when it comes to scriptures who would disagree with the view that the New Testament ministry of the church succeeded that of the temple. What did I just say? That the new church and the New Testament replaced the Old Testament temple. In Malachi, we're told that God wants us to direct our entire offering into the storehouse for four reasons. I don't know if we've got this up or not. Maybe not. No, we'll come to that in a minute, Joseph. Thank you. Four four reasons. It was used to feed the widows, the orphans, and those living within the city who were poor. The Hebrew widows and orphans. It was used to feed the widows and orphans of the Gentiles who were living in around the Hebrew city. It was used to pay the tribe of Levites and priests and all the people who worked in the temple. And then ultimately it was also paid for those who took the message out, the prophets. That's what the money was used for in the Old Testament. And you see in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul endorses this. In Nehemiah it says God charges the leader of the church to distribute the tithe. So the leaders of the church decided how to use the money that was given to the church. So if we combine the Old Testament teaching and we combine the New Testament teaching, here's what we're left with. The church, and we, I think I have a slide here, the church should give money to the widows and the orphans, single parents and invalids in the local church. So start thinking about Willow Park Church right now. Do we do that? Okay, number two, we should, uh, the church should give money to the unsaved. It should go towards telling the unsaved that surround the local church the gospel, so the local missions. Number three, the pastor and the staff's wages. Now, some of you might have struggled with that, and that's a whole other sermon. 
And number four, missionaries and evangelists. So those are the four areas that the church is charged to give money to. So I look, I've been, I've been actually seven years to the month that Sarah and I started in the church, if not full time. I look at Willow Park Church and I can say hand on heart, we fulfill that in numerous ways. In numerous ways. And the reality is this, is the church is God's mechanism for spreading the gospel. And it's the only hope. It's the only hope this world has. It's not money. It's not social services. It's not an increased government voice. It's the church. And I say that in front of people like my dear friend Brad, who is passionate about raising money for child of mine. I know he would agree. As wonderful as child of mine is, it's through the local church that the money goes to it. Therefore, fulfilling one of those four points. And so we have this beautiful mechanism that God has put into place. It's like, forgive me for putting it this way, it's like a bit of a mutual fund. You put the money in and then you trust the church to disseminate the funds in an appropriate way. So I want to encourage you to make it a priority to give to the church. Because we are committed to the gospel at Willow Park Church. And so here's where it gets a little difficult. And I say this lovingly, really lovingly. If you doubt, this is why I wrote it down, I don't normally read as much as this, but I want to get it right. If you doubt that we as a church are about the gospel, and if you don't trust the leaders of the church to use the funds appropriately, then lovingly you need to find another church that you can trust and you can give to. Because you're actually showing a sense of control that would seemingly point to something else being enthroned in your heart. And so if you struggle with Willow Park Church and giving to it, then please go and find a church where you don't struggle and give to that. So it's not an issue of give to Willow Park Church. It's an issue of whether we're being obedient. So I would say as advice that we should give first to the church and then our offerings can go over and above that. So our beautiful child of mind giving doesn't replace the giving to the local church. Our giving to some special project doesn't replace what we give. And I know that there are people in this church who cheerfully, regularly, sacrificially give to the church and then when a special need comes up, they give to that as well. It's beautiful. But I would also equally say, lovingly, if this is where your family is, then please give to it because it costs money to serve you. It costs money to serve our locals for the gospel. Living Nativity is 8,000 people we get coming through and they're hearing the gospel that costs money. And people are giving to it. And so I would lovingly ask you, do you give enough to this church? If you believe that this area needs an expression of the gospel, we need to step up and give more. So a little while ago, we came up with a new vision, a new plan called 2020. 2020 vision. You're going to be hearing more about this over the coming months. But essentially the idea is this, is that by the year 2020, we want to encourage everybody to increase their giving by 20%. Not to 20%, but 20%. So if you give $50 a month, then we're asking you to give $60 a month by 2020. I think we might be able to do that. That would actually result in about $450,000 more into the budget every year. Because the reality is, and I could preach a long time about this, is that our, our wonderful millennial generation is giving less. Because, unfortunately, there's this mindset that if I buy a pair of Toms, I'm giving. 
because Tom's gives some of their money to... No, that's not giving. Giving is actually looking at what your income is and giving it to the church and giving it to those that are in need. So instead of being a church of 10%, let's be a church that strives to give sacrificially like the widows of Macedonians. I want to say this as I finish. I analyzed myself and examined myself, and I can honestly say this is perhaps the most uncomfortable sermon I've ever preached at the South. Everything inside me went, no, I don't want to say this, because this is hard to hear, and they're going to think this, and they might think that, and well, what about this, and what about that? And, and I was like, Lord, you called me to the ministry to preach what the Bible said, not what I think will make people like me. And that sermon that i just given to you is absolutely there. It is the very best thing for you to have the, Jesus on the throne of your life. And that will mean that you will want to be generous like him. And then the Bible is very clear how to do that. It needs to pinch, friends. It needs to pinch. And as I said last week, for those of you who weren't here, I have no money. I have no idea who gives what to this church. I am beautifully protected and I'm glad for it. But I am acutely aware of the importance of us being a generous church. So I want to finish where I started. Giving is an expression of the joy we have in Christ. It's a reflection of our heart. It's an expression of our worship. And Paul himself said, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich... Yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. So this week, I want to encourage you to pray and ask the Lord, what is it you would want me to give? And then gauge, where's my heart in that? Is it a sacrifice? And then a second you go, I don't know whether I can afford to do that amount that's just popped into my mind, and I'm going to believe that the Holy Spirit will speak that way then you're probably there. You're probably there. And that's, that's my desire for you because Jesus gave everything. I want us to have that same heart that we give of that which is sometimes the most precious to us. And if you have any questions, then I, would, I, you know, I welcome, um, I welcome you know, them and uh, I may send a video or a little voice thing rather than typing out, but I will try and answer your questions. But I, I really think that if you listen back through this message and look at some of the scriptures, then you're going to find the answer for yourself because it's not difficult teaching. It is what it is. The struggle comes when, it is when the Bible actually contradicts our wisdom. That's where the struggle, the test. Remember a few weeks ago, the test. So I'm going to pray for you and pray that God will speak to you and speak to us all. Let's pray. Dear God, I, I have to admit this is difficult. Because Lord, I believe as a city and our culture, especially in Kelowna and the west of Canada, is so entrenched in the worship of possessions and money. To our shame, Lord, we believe that it's going to bring us the good life that we so desire. But God, I thank you that you created us in such a way that the ultimate good life is found in you. And Jesus, I thank you that you set the example to every one of us in generously giving your life 
giving up everything, giving your life so that we could have life. And so, Father, I pray that you would speak to each one of us. And whether we're the widow throwing in the might, or whether we're a millionaire throwing in uh, some of our wealth, Lord, I pray that we be a church that sacrifices for your gospel, sacrifices for the poor and the widows. And Lord, I'm thankful that your scripture always talks in terms of blessing. But Lord, we don't do that to gain the blessing. We want to do it because, Lord, we want our hearts to be oriented towards you. And so, Father, I pray you would take the words that I have spoken and you would take them and you would plant them deep into our hearts and our spirits. And Lord, I pray that there'd be much fruit That, Lord, people would come to know you more in this city. I'm thankful, Lord, that we're in a church that spreads, unapologetically shares the gospel. Week in, week out. So, Lord, now as we come to our time of giving, Lord, I pray that we would do so cheerfully. We do it sacrificially. That, God, you would enable us to do it regularly. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.